Hey, welcome to Engineering Etc. My name is Tony Casera. I'm a senior software engineer at a startup working remotely here in Los Angeles, California. And joining me today is my friend and colleague, Gabriel Grover. Hey, Tony. Good to be here. I'm Gabriel Grover, also a software engineer, and I hop between Los Angeles and Dallas. Today, we have a really exciting episode for you. We're going to talk about the collapse of some well-known banks and especially one SVB that had a huge impact on the startup industry and the tech industry as well. We think that this is going to change some things about the next year, and we're just going to talk about how we think you can best prepare yourself and what are the plans that we're making to prepare ourselves for this coming onslaught of talent looking for work and startups struggling with funding. It's it's going to be a wild ride. Yeah, I've learned way more than I would like to know about the banking system now because of this whole fiasco. Yeah. (laughs) I've learned just enough to know that my company is safe, so I'm not freaking out too much, but there there will be ripple effects, of course. Yeah. Apparently, my company had all their deposits in SVB. (sighs) Yeah. And it was crazy. It was was an insane roller coaster of... I guess, emotions. I don't know. I just started the work day, like seeing things pop up in my feed, you know. The about, feds have stepped in. Yeah, SVB. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. And then I got your text, like, you saw that SVB was shut down. I'm like, yeah, I listened to a podcast episode <laughs> about it. It was crazy. And I'm like, yeah, that's that sucks. And then I was like, wait, are we in SVB? <laughs> 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 and, and, Apparently, yes. And uh, it was, it was crazy. And then, and I'm like, oh, but it's FDIC insured, right? That's totally. And then I'm like, well, let me look into that. And it's like FDIC insurance insures up to 250K. That's less than two sal- like salary for two engineers. Yeah, I was going to say that's like on a, on a regular payroll, that's maybe enough to pay like a small, like 10 person company payroll, depending on the, the type of engineers and stuff you have hired. Totally. And I can only, and you know, startups usually have a bunch of seed money, right? So definitely way more than 250 K in there. And well, it depends. What did you do with that money? Is that money sitting in like, you know, stocks and bonds or is that just sitting in cash in the bank? You know, like, and that depends whether or not you're going to get money out of this, right? The Fed said, basically, if you have stocks or like, you know, equity that isn't like super senior equity, it's gone. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 It was, it was wild, man. And like the, and I just said, it was the weekend too, of course. Yeah. Friday. Yeah. yeah. You always save bad news for Friday. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm just like, well... I really, I really hope we can figure it out because, yeah, I really enjoy the company I'm at. It's been the funnest work I've done. And then Monday came along and then Biden said, I did that and <laughs> gave us a bailout. How do you feel to be a part of uh, the bailout class now, Tony? My company didn't need to be bailed out. So. I know, but you're of the class of people that I'm, got bailed out. Now. I'm just going to look down my nose at <laughs> your startup, which wasn't prepared. So this is interesting. I wanted to talk about this because I asked all my friends who worked in startups because I was just like, first of all, I hope my friends are okay. Second of all, I want the juicy hot goss. Yeah, like, yeah. let's hear what's going on. And everyone, with the exception of your company, was like, oh, yeah, our CFO diversified us out of SVB like a year ago. Uh. And it was like the same story everywhere. Everyone was like, yeah, over the last one to two years, we got out of SVB. And I'm like, is there something I don't know? Like, how did all these people think to get out of SVB and to diversify their money oh, to sure. more like traditional or larger banks? 
Like someone had to have that advice. And clearly it was not a secret that getting your money out of SVB is like a really good idea. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think it's that much of a stretch because SVB is a publicly traded company, right? Yeah. The money they were putting into bonds and everything they were doing to shore up their liquidity crunch or whatever. I'm just using words. I have no idea what they mean. (laughs) It's just they're words that I've seen in articles, but all that stuff should be public knowledge in a public company, right? So, you know, it's no secret that interest rates are rising. And if you know about the financial tools they were using, I don't think it's that stretch, that much of a stretch for someone to go like, oh, maybe we should diversify. Like, especially if, you know, you, your company's like pretty far into its, you know, funding cycle and you have like a whole risk analysis team I mean, SVB was supposed to have. Apparently, they didn't have any. There was no chief risk officer for yeah. the last, like, eight months or something. Good. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, like, because, I don't know, like, the, I don't think there's, like, some grand conspiracy. And I. Oh, me neither. No, I, th- Now, I got to tell you, I have some friends who are deep in the conspiracy theory stuff. And in a way, like, I only keep them around just so I know what is, like, not real. And yeah, then, sure. you know, like, once in a while, like, one in a hundred of the things they mention ends up being real. And it's like, okay, fine. But, like, the other stuff is just like, gosh, is this Chinese propaganda? Is it Russian propaganda? <laughs> like, it's it's so much. You're right. I don't think there's any, like, malintent here. This is totally just... We had a huge, large run in our economy. All these people borrowed against some of the lowest interest rates we've ever seen. In fact, I think they are the lowest we've ever seen, right? Mm-hmm. And like because of that, you just have all these companies that were living off of borrowed capital that was super cheap, and now they can't borrow it for cheap anymore. And then you see all this ripple effect happen. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, it's clear like we're not out of the woods. Honestly, we probably haven't even entered the woods yet it's been one week since svb was taken over i think we're still early yeah yeah so it's probably just a another headwind that we're gonna have to face um well so you know what's interesting is it is interesting to see how people are reacting to this the ceo of my company very quickly friday morning was like hey just want you to know we're 99 percent like out of svb like we're not worried at all our CFO diversified us over the last two years. Yeah. And we we have raised a lot of money. It's a Series D already, and they, there's a ton of money in the bank. And so fortunately, we don't have to worry. But what was interesting was her point that she said, hey, a lot of our clients are probably going to be affected by them, though. So remember to have compassion. And when talking about them, you know, know that we're going to be okay if they're going to have a problem paying for the service or something like that. We're okay with deferred payments because we're okay. Like it was, it was very compassionate, which I really like to see. And I think that's probably like the important thing to remember in all this is to be compassionate because even though like all this is happening is random and like some people just lose and win, that's life. Like it still doesn't hurt to have like an extra bit of compassion. Yeah. Totally. Is your company going to be okay? Do you know anything? Yeah, it's going to be fine. You don't have to go into specifics. I yeah. know it's, it's sort of a stealth startup, but like, it's just nice to know that things are going to be okay because I know you really like that job. Yeah, yeah. It's it's totally going to be cool. Like we're we're fine. We had we have like a, another round of funding coming in, which is nice. Thank God. And yeah, the getting our deposits guaranteed is is great. Yeah. And learn and learning from that lesson, which is weird. It's like, do you really plan ahead for banks to fail? I feel like, (laughs) gosh, I mean, it's like we have to now. We've seen two of these in our lifetime, right? Well, let's be clear. Like, this is nowhere near 
like what 2008 was. This, you're, you're right. Yeah. yeah like, this, yeah. Like we got to put that into perspective because I see a lot, like a lot of fear mongering, like on that side. And it's. Well, those were the top banks in the country that were yeah. affected. This is number 16. And I assume totally. you've seen Peter Zion's video about, right, the, the coming financial crisis or whatever. No, I haven't. He, he, he was exactly what you were saying. He very quickly put a perspective. He's like, it's not that big a deal. Like, oh, this wasn't totally. that big a bank, you yeah. know? Yeah, for you, for you Zoomers out there, <laughs> 2008 was like the end of the world. And I think you and me both were just started college right there. So I was about to graduate, actually. So 2008, I was on my junior year study abroad in London. I watched wow. this happen. I watched people walking in the streets with boxes, people like, you know, just like lose it all. And I had to explain this to my wife. My wife's only five years younger than me. She had no understanding of what happened in, in 2008. <laughs> and basically, you just had all these mortgages that were just not good quality mortgages. You had a barista working at Starbucks, you know, getting a mortgage for a million dollar house. Totally. And unfortunately, you just you can't afford that. And at least not in that time on a, on a barista salary. <laughs> and people just walked away from their mortgages and the whole thing bottomed out. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I'm oversimplifying it. but totally. Yeah. There's there's also like some known, you know people at different financial institutions knowing that these because you wrapped all these loans into a big asset package that people could trade and make money off that's of. right yes and they knew it was poisoned by just people who would not be able to honor those loan payments and just kind of passed the buck and then eventually like a hot potato basically but, but yeah very different people losing their homes, their entire savings. Well, so, and maybe that's a good point for us to start talking about sort of like what we think software engineers should do for this coming year. Cause I think companies are going to react to this and yeah. I think it's going to affect us as well. I can tell you, cause I was laid off by Twitter in November. I was part of the first round, like gone. Totally. Uh, finding a job is no joke right now. It is really hard. And I interviewed with a lot of companies immediately after getting laid off. I didn't wait. And I'm glad I didn't wait because I can tell you it's even harder now than I it bet. was. Yeah. yeah. Because so many more, over 100,000 people have been laid off at this point, I think, yeah. sp specifically in tech. And you're competing with all of them. And, and I had a couple of conversations this year so far just because I had already started talking to them before the new year. And like, I just go and I do the technical screen with them. And I'll, I'll even nail the technical screen. And I'll just be like, sorry, we have other candidates who have... 10, 20 years of experience and they want a hundred thousand less than you do to work for us. So we're not, they're, they're not actually saying that, but that's in my mind, I'm thinking they have so many more candidates who are willing to work more and take less. Cause they're so much more like desperate to get a job right now yeah. that I'm just getting priced out. And it's like, I, everyone I talk to is having the same experience right now. It's impossible to get a job right now. Yeah. And I think like the number one thing, if you are at a job and you can stay another year, stay totally. D like talk to recruiters because maybe SVB is going to affect your bank or sorry, your, your company. And maybe you're going to be looking for another job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't even know what advice to give to engineers there, especially like if you're just starting out, oof, that's, uh, I would say don't get into it right now unless you can afford to wait at least one to two years before your first job. Like if you want to go to a university and get like some kind of accelerated degree, that might be a good idea right now. Yeah. Camp is like out of the question. I, I wouldn't do a boot camp right now unless you can afford to wait a long time. 
Yeah. I mean, I know you did Hack Reactor, right? I did. You were self-taught, right? Yeah, but it also probably took me longer than you. I mean, I was three months from like start to finish. I went in, spent 12 weeks doing this thing, came out. I spent three months interviewing and I was working. Yeah. So six months in total? Basically, yeah. I mean, maybe you want to say seven months if you include the one month of like pre-work that I did before going to the boot camp. But Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, it probably took me like a year. Yeah. And this was during, apparently, during the, it was when we were in the boom times, you know, when there was jobs being handed out like candy. So when did you get your first engineering job? 2016. Okay. So a year before me. Yeah. That was still the good times. Yeah. yeah. 2017 was the start of the, the decline. Yeah. Totally. And yeah. And like right now it'd be, yeah, it seems like it'd be pretty tough. I agree. If you can wait. Actually, you know what? I disagree. Don't wait. Apply to everything. Well, of, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's that's always been the strategy, right? If you So here's the other thing. If you're the kind of person who is just determined and is like, I'm going to do this no matter what, well, then I'm not going to tell you not to do it. And I guess we should have some advice for that person too, which is what you just said. Apply to everything. Take every opportunity that you can. It's a numbers game. It always has been, always will be. Totally. Like I would apply and interview for companies you just don't even want to work for you just gotta get used to selling yourself and getting rejected yeah it sucks in the beginning <laughs> dude it does it knocks down your self-esteem so much <laughs> totally. you're just like oh no could i have said this other thing could i have done something different and like sure maybe you could have but don't dwell on it it's literally just keep going until someone's like hey i like you enough and like you're technically savvy enough that we feel like we can work with you because like a lot more often than not, it's just a gut feeling. Someone just interviews you and goes, no, yeah. and that's it. What about meetups? Do you ever recommend people go to meetups? No, no. So I, I used to go. So when we were when we worked at Thrive Market, you know, uh-huh. we hosted a meetup, which is actually how I hired someone. And then I went to another meetup for the same like group that they were doing. And I showed up and there were a hundred people there. I kid you not all junior engineers with the exception of the people who were speaking right and every one of them oh are you hiring at your company it's like i feel so bad for them because some of them like they they, i'm sure they'd be great engineers but it's like i i don't have a hundred positions open and like i quite honestly a lot of them didn't have the right mindset they were they were picky they were like oh no i don't i don't want to do a job that has back and i'm like have you ever had a job in engineering no i'm like dude you will take any job right now totally and I'm just, I don't want to refer someone like that. Like I God, I remember someone who I referred who was from Hack Reactor. I didn't know him, but I was like, okay, Hack Reactor, he, he must be pretty good because I went through it. I kid you not. He got in and they asked him a question and he goes, you know, I, I don't know that one. So I'm, I'm I just, I'm not going to answer it. We can just move on to the next thing. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? Take a shot, dude. Try it. <laughs> and I was just like, you can't have that attitude. Yeah. That's like, wild. This is not like you went to Hack Reactor, you went to a boot camp, even you went to a free university, you are not entitled to a job. Totally. When I, yeah, when I was looking for, like, when I was first starting out, because I got that same bad advice too, like, oh, go to meetups and network. And you guys, it's just a buffet of (laughs) sadness and loneliness at these meetups. (laughs) Everyone wants a job and that's all they're thinking about. And when you go there, you're not a potential networking to them. You are competition. That's right. (laughs) If you're there and you already have a job, that's great because you have a good pool of... I mean, I don't know if that's great. I've never actually done that because 
I've gotten exactly zero interviews from going to a meetup. And I went to a, quite a few of them. And that's just, that's time, you know, that's time you're spending on something that probably won't be fruitful. In my experience, the probability of getting anything useful to your career from a meetup is really low. I mean, like, if you're interested in the actual topic that they're covering, it's... Sure. It, or, like, what they're doing, go ahead, do it, especially if you are have... I mean, if if you have bad social skills, it'd be a good way for you to get used to talking to people that are that have the same interests as you. I mean, that I keep hearing that like Zoomers are super lonely, they're isolated, they have crap social skills. I don't know, but like people used to talk shit about our generation saying the same stuff too. So I don't yeah. know that I don't know if that's true. I think, I think everyone also has pandemic fatigue right now. I think we've totally. all been so isolated for so long. It's hard to remember. And actually, something that I've been struggling with in my job is about the the remote work kind of fatigue where I'd like to spend more time in person with my coworkers, at least building camaraderie. Like, I don't want to work in person all the time. I never want to go back to an office full time. Yeah. But I'd like to have off-sites. I'd like to have the option of an office to visit for meetings or something because, like, you know, it'd be nicer to do it that way. Yeah, I've heard like doing like an optional meeting at the end of the week, like an in-person one. No, like even I mean this would this wouldn't help like the physicality aspect you were talking about, but just a Zoom meeting or whatever. Oh, like a happy hour almost. Yeah. Yeah, and you just kind of you you make it a specific meeting to not talk about work in. But yeah, it's still not fun. Yeah. Well, and here's what I'll share too about what you just said about like meetups and stuff and time. I think that's something really important too. Your time is extremely valuable yeah. because that time you spend at meetups, there's a much smaller chance of you finding someone than say, if you go build a website for yourself. And totally. by the way, you don't even have to code your own website. Like here's a secret. My first website was a Squarespace as a software engineer. And believe it or not, probably just the, use chat GPT. Now. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. Chat GPT. The person who I asked for a referral to for a job who else went to hack reactor was like, Whoa, your website is so cool. I never told them it was Squarespace. <laughs> like this is where being an engineer, a lot of being an engineer is knowing the right tool for the job. And sometimes it's not worth me coding my own website. Sometimes it's worth using a WordPress or a Squarespace or something or chat GPT. Totally. Right. And that, that website got me the job because like both him and the hiring manager were like, well, your website's really cool. And it was showcasing work I had done, but mm-hmm. like, don't be afraid to use those tools to your advantage. You might feel like an imposter, but guess what? If you're new to the industry, you, you feel like an imposter anyhow. Totally. Might as well embrace it. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think building something is probably the best thing you can do. Yeah. Put it on GitHub, make it public, write yeah. a medium article about it, tweet about it. Well, I don't know about Twitter anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> I think you're biased, Tony. Oh, really? <laughs> Twitter is going to be saved. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a savior of some kind right now. But yeah, that's um, for another episode. <laughs> yeah. What would you, if you were, Tony, hiring a junior right now with zero experience, what would you look for? First thing I'd be looking for is great attitude and personality because I'm going to be spending a lot of time teaching you. I want to know that I get along with you or that you're at least willing to be collaborative and work well with other people. Mm -hmm. I think that matters more than anything as a junior engineer. After that, the next very next thing is how teachable are you? So maybe something that I would do, and someone did this to me when I was a junior engineer, and I remember feeling really good about it, was they taught me something. So this one engineer I interviewed with, he taught me about 
automatic semicolon insertion in JavaScript, which mm-hmm. is something that I had never thought about before because, you know, semicolons are optional because the interpreter will automatically insert them for you at the end of a line. And then we got into conversations about, well, do you understand like what the return keyword actually is? And I was just remembering that I didn't know this stuff because I was a bootcamp grad. I didn't know the finer points of, you know, JavaScript and V8 and all that. But I remember that he tried to teach me something and I felt like I taught it and they did make me an offer. It was, it was a contract job, so I didn't accept it. But I remember being like, we all got along really well. And like, this person was really cool and he taught me something. And I felt like showing him that I was able to learn something meant that, hey, we're going to be able to teach this guy so that the stuff he doesn't know is not going to be a shortcoming. He's not going to hit a wall and be like, oh, I can't do that. I have to do it for him. You know, I think teachability, your personality, those are the two things I'm looking for. And obviously, if you have stuff on GitHub, I think that that's absolutely a huge bonus to show that you're you have work out there and work that you're willing to show to people and talk through. But like. Make sure that you're, you know, you're proud of the work that you put up there, even if it's not the best. Totally. I mean, like if if it's a junior engineer, I'm not gonna be too harsh on how they did things. That's true. If they if they accomplished the feature or the goal yeah, they wanted to they implement, got something working. That's more impressive than the actual code itself. Yeah. So they they got something working. They when when you do that, you you go through that experience. You learn about all the things that can go wrong, trying to get something to work. And that's probably the most valuable thing. Oh, gosh. I love that you said that because that gives you something to talk about in the interview as well. Tell me what was difficult about this project and to see that you learned something on your own is even more valuable than me being able to teach you something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, that's what I would look for. The reality is I haven't had a lot of experience hiring junior engineers. Anytime I've interviewed or hired at previous companies, it's always been for mid to senior level. So people who I expect to already have some skill. Yeah, Totally. I've never hired for juniors either. They probably don't get hired that much. That's why. Most companies aren't hiring for juniors right yeah. now. That's the real. Only big tech companies were, and they're not hiring at all anymore. Totally. Yeah. I think that's why building something is really important because if, if you can build something that is both sides of the stack, get a front end component there, do a little service and node or whatever language you want. doesn't really matter. Get it working and deployed. I don't consider you a junior anymore if you can get that working. And it could, and it works. And it can handle like a reasonable amount of traffic. Right. If I can refresh the page 10 times in a row and it doesn't crash, that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I wouldn't consider you like a senior, obviously, but... Um, Mid-level's such a wide band. I don't totally. think people realize. Yeah. Definitely not a junior anymore, though. Yeah. Like bugs, small features. If you actually build one complete project, yeah, totally. Yeah, And if that's what I'm looking for, that's who I'm going to hire. Yeah. And I think in a way, like, it's fun to have junior engineers because if you have the right kind of mindset person, like, it's fun to see them grow and to see where the extent of your knowledge is, too, because they're going to ask questions. Like, I think it's good to have a mix of levels at companies. I know companies don't want to hire juniors, but, like, even having one or two, I think, makes a big difference to the way people think about their work and about how they're explaining things, too, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know. The seniors are going to die eventually. You're going to have to hire someone. <laughs> yeah, don't, let's not talk about COBOL, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you're going to need a fresh talent pool at some point. Or... And how nice if you can teach them and look. And if they go on to other companies, so be it. Like, you know, that's the way it is. It helps you improve your own hiring process, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a free market. 
thank or God. Or at least <laughs> sort of. Well, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> like, we're not slaves, so your employer does not own you. Yeah. Which, that's a good mindset to get into. Oh, yes, that too, totally. Just remember that at the end of the day, this is a job. And something I definitely struggle with is separating my job from my, like, my self-worth. Definitely have a hard time with, like, if I'm, you know, not meeting what I think are expectations in the job, feeling like I'm failing as a person. I think that's just an American culture thing, man. It so is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know, you go to Europe and people are like, what, I'm taking a month vacation, like, next <laughs> yeah. one, next week, like, who cares? Like... I can remember, like, every, like, family movie I grew up seeing as a kid is usually revolving around, like, money and not being able to survive. And so it's, like, very ingrained in this country's, like, cultural fabric, for sure. Totally. Even though, like, compared to most countries in the world, we're, like, better off than almost all of them. Like, yeah, maybe it's because we're all panicking all the time that we're going to lose our jobs and That's so we true. just work really hard. That's why we're so productive and doing well, you know, but which I don't know. I mean, it's so much more complex than that, right? But like I think that's maybe for another day. Yeah. But I'm thinking like maybe something to to end this episode on is just that right now is a pretty difficult time and I think it is a good time to think about sort of that American ingenuity and survivability and that like right now it really is about surviving it's about taking whatever job pays you don't take free work by the way just just don't that's, that's my opinion at least that's class warfare if you take free work Amen. you're you're going against your class interests so don't do it yes I agree <laughs> entirely but also like just know that it's a job is always temporary. You can always move on to something else if you really don't like it. Or, you know, if it just doesn't pay enough, you can get another job later. Sometimes you can work more than one job. When I first got into software engineering, I had a full-time job and I had a contract job. And I honestly needed both because I was underwater on credit card debt that I had been carrying for a long time. And I needed to try to pay it off as soon as possible because the emotional burden of that credit card debt was just too much. Yeah, I think you can always extract value from a job even if it's really hard and difficult and you don't really like it especially in software engineering you're gonna like solve problems that you would not solve doing your own projects and that can apply to other work definitely can apply to an interview situation when you talk about these problems you've solved so yeah get in there and uh, roll around in the dirt a little bit great advice i love that i think it's a great point to end the show on thanks so much for listening we'll see you in the next one